and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. Let me read that again. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. So the idea of peace, I think, is one of the most emotive and in many ways kind of beautiful ideas and sentiments and, and feelings you can have. It's one of those words that we use around Christmas time. People put it on Christmas cards. You know, it's just one of those words, which is obviously we, we associate biblically, but it's just one of those words, words the world picks up and goes, yeah, that's a nice idea. We'll kind of stick that on a card. We'll put that on a poster. We, you know, we'll use that as well. So it's a very beautiful concept. I think, though, one of the greatest challenges of Christmas is, and this isn't going to be true of everybody in this room and maybe not true of the season you're in right now, but I would say often when we talk about peace and then we talk about Christmas, it's one that sometimes to be peaceful at Christmas is sometimes one of the greatest challenges. Yeah? Sometimes actually the season of Christmas just exposes the fact that life doesn't feel very peaceful. Yeah, it doesn't. Sometimes we go through those kind of Advent Sundays and we go, well, it's about hope, it's about peace, it's about joy, it's about love. And actually, for a lot of people, their experience of that season is anything but joyful or hopeful or peaceful. And yet, this is the biblical story that Jesus comes to bring hope, to bring joy as an expression of God's love. And he says he is the Prince of Peace. So I want to talk about how do we in this season, experience something of the peace of God in our lives. So that it's not just a nice idea, and it's not just a sentiment that the world throws around, but as Christians, as believers, how do we go, well, how do I experience that in you? The angels announce Jesus as the peace bringer, the prince of peace, but how do I live in the good of that? How do I appropriate that into my own life. And I want to talk about three things. There's lots of other things you can say, but one is I want to talk about admitting something. I want to talk about confessing something. And I want to talk about making space for someone. So the first one is admitting something. I think part of receiving Jesus as the Prince of Peace and experiencing that again in this season, part of that is admitting that we live in a land of darkness. So uh, I suspect all of you know, over 100 years ago now, uh, well, it would have been 110 years ago, um, 109 years ago, this continent was uh, thrown into the most kind of bloody and horrendous, brutal conflict that I think has ever been known in the whole of like, history. So the First World War, they reckon there were 40 million casualties, were well, 20 million deaths, up to 20 million deaths, and up to 20 million other people injured through the First World War. I mean, entire generations of young men especially were wiped out across Western Europe. But I don't know if you know the story, but in 1914, there was a moment during the First World War that on Christmas Eve, the story is that there's, and this has been kind of like proven to be true, I think, that there was there was a ceasefire that happened on Christmas Day, a momentary ceasefire. And it began on Christmas Eve when I don't know which side, the British forces or the German forces, but they heard across, there was no man's land in between the trenches. And there was, they heard singing, I think the British forces heard singing coming from the German trenches. 
they were singing carols, they were singing other songs, and they begin to shout out across each other. And what happened was, on the next day, at some of the places on the front line, not all of the places, but on some of the places on the front line, there was a ceasefire. Uh, like a, it's not anything that the powers that be had commanded. In fact, the, those people ranking high didn't like this, but the, the guys in the trenches decided not to fight. And not only did they decide not to fight, but some of them then get out of the trenches and come and meet in no man's land. And they start to exchange cards. There's photos of them together. You know, so the day before they're shooting, and, but on that day they cease fight. And even there are stories that the games of football started across in no man's land in the middle of the First World War, or right at the start of the First World War, in 1914 on Christmas Day. For one day there was a pause in certain places. The reason I tell that story is because I think we value peace when we understand what conflict is. Yeah? When we realize we're in conflict, when peace comes, it suddenly has a completely different value to us. You know, so the end of the Second World War, Victory in Europe Day, for the Allied forces was celebrated all across that part of Europe because suddenly peace meant something because they'd been in conflict for six years. And the prophet Isaiah, when he speaks of Jesus' coming, decades or centuries before Jesus comes, uh, talks about Jesus being the, pre, the, prince, the, the peace bringer and that he's coming to a people who are walking in darkness. So this is what it says, Isaiah 9, verse 2. This is probably pretty familiar to most of us. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born and and to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called, these are his names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. Isaiah prophesies there is one coming who will bring great light and great peace. And it's coming to those who live and walk in darkness. And so the Bible talks about the phrase, uses the phrase darkness over 200 times. It's pretty much always a picture of evil, of pain, and of ignorance. And we live, we know, in a land and in a world where there is darkness. It's not, that there is, it's not that there's nothing good going on, okay? We're not, we, I don't subscribe to that view, but clearly we live in a land of darkness where there's evil. You just have to switch the news on, open your laptop, look at the internet, and we know across the world there is conflict, terrible conflict. There's darkness, nation against nation, tribe against tribe, people group against people group. We see it in the world, out there. Sometimes we experience it very close to us as well, in our own families sometimes and in our own neighborhoods and in the people around us but actually it's even more sobering than that because what we the truth is the darkness is not just out there the darkness is in here we experience darkness not just in the world but in us so we feel anger when we should feel calm we resent when we should forgive we fear even though we we know we're loved so in other words darkness is not simply just a picture of the world Darkness is a picture sometimes of the human experience. As one writer puts it, we walk in darkness apart from God, apart from his presence and his goodness, we walk in darkness. And if you know the book of Romans at all, the Apostle Paul, I think, talks about this struggle 
of that we know Jesus, we know God, but like we also struggle sometimes with darkness, with brokenness. So he says this in Romans 7, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. So Jesus is the Prince of Peace because he is coming to a land in darkness. That's part of the Christmas story. It's not a nice sentiment. Jesus is coming and that's why he's born into darkness. The story is itself pretty dark. Born completely helpless to a refugee family, hunted on the run. Okay, so that's why is he born in that way? Because he is coming into the darkness to redeem people bound up in darkness like us, wanting to get us out. So one of the keys to receiving him as the Prince of Peace is admitting we live in a world of darkness and the darkness affects me as well. We have to admit something. Here's the second thing. I think another key to receiving him as the Prince of Peace and experiencing again something of that in our own lives is to confess something. And the second thing I think is to confess that we cannot fix our own darkness. So since the Enlightenment in Western Europe, we've been taught, so since the kind of 17th and 18th centuries, one of the things the Enlightenment taught was that by our own reason, by our own science, by our own cleverness, we would be able to fix the world and make it better and better and better. That's basically what the Enlightenment taught, that through human reason, through human kind of progression, through science and rational thinking and discovery, we will be able to make the world better and we will fix things. As the theologian Michael Jackson once said, heal the world, make it a better place for you and for me and the entire human race. There are people dying and if you care enough for the living, make a better place for you and for me. So that's what Michael Jackson is saying. He is saying the enlightenment is true. Okay, we can make the world better. And there have been things that have made a lot better, haven't there? Okay, I am very grateful that we live now rather than three or four hundred years ago. I'm grateful for amazing medical care. I'm grateful for anaesthetic. Have you ever thought what life would be like without anaesthetic? That would just be awful. I'm so grateful that there are for things like that. I'm grateful for things like light bulbs and chocolate croissants and things, all these kind of amazing things. I'm grateful. Heating. Heating, indeed. <laughs> so I'm grateful. But the truth is, as well, that fundamentally what we have discovered is no amount of logical thinking and scientific progression can fix the fundamental issue that there is darkness in the world and darkness in us. So since the Enlightenment, we have seen more world conflict than we did before that. The 20th century was the most bloody and brutal century of, the, of all of history. Okay? So actually what it's proven is we fundamentally can't fix the human condition. Part of experiencing Jesus as the Prince of Peace and part of receiving him as the Prince of Peace is confessing and admitting not only is the world a dark place and not only is that affecting me, not only am I broken and living in a broken world, 
but it is also admitting I can't fix myself. I can't get myself out of it. I can't progress enough. Part of receiving him is acknowledging that. And if you read Isaiah 9, not unsurprisingly, before Isaiah 9 comes, have a guess. What do you think comes before Isaiah 9? Isaiah 8, well done. Okay, excellent. Well, well done, everybody. It's not, it wasn't a trick question. Before Isaiah 9 comes Isaiah 8. And if you read Isaiah 8, even though most of us don't read it because we're just familiar with the prophecy of Jesus' coming, in Isaiah 8, what it does is it describes a people, it says, are distressed and hungry. And they roam through the land. And it says this, they look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. In other words, Isaiah 8 is a picture before the promise of a Messiah coming. Isaiah 8 is a picture of people who are fearful and distressed and they look towards the land. In other words, they're looking at the earth and looking at human solutions to fix the problems. And it says that actually as we look to the world to fix our problems, ultimately what becomes is we become more hungry and more distressed. Because the world ultimately cannot fix its own issues. It's a, people of people, a, peop, it's a picture of people trying to fix the darkness and looking to the earth and to human solutions. And then Isaiah goes on to say, doesn't it, in Isaiah 9, on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Notice the light does not come from the earth. The light dawns upon the earth. In other words, the light doesn't originate from us. We don't create the light. Michael Jackson was a phenomenal, I mean, a phenomenal gift. But he was wrong. We can't generate enough light for ourselves. We're just not able to heal the world by just getting together and singing some songs. It doesn't fix everything. The light is dawning because we need a light to come from somewhere else. Yeah? So when the angels announce to the shepherds that there is one born, it says, the glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those on whom his favor rests. They are saying that because just before that, I said, is good news. Today, a savior has been born. Where does the peace come from? It comes from a saviour. And to receive a saviour, we have to admit we need saving. We can't receive him for the first time, or we can't keep going on receiving him, unless we admit, I need saving. I need a light to dawn upon me, because I can't generate enough light on my own. In fact, the more I try it, the more distressed and hungry I become, says Isaiah 8. Because I'm looking to myself or I'm looking to human solutions to fix something that they were never designed to fix. I need a light. So Isaiah 9 says, a light is dawning upon a people who are walking in darkness. A people who literally can't find their way out. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where it's completely dark. You know, you're in your house and it's completely dark and you just can't find it. And even if you're familiar, you bump into stuff. You, well, that's the picture of the human condition without God. We're completely incapable of finding a way out. And it says to people who realize that, a light is coming and dawning. And it's humbling. Because the only way to receive it is to admit, I can't fix myself. 
And it's completely different from how the world thinks about how you get anything. How do we get anything in the world? We work hard, we achieve, we get ourselves there, right? That's how we, that's how we do it. How do we, how do we get a good job? Well, we get a good education. We work hard, we achieve, we climb the ladder, we go, we go, we go. Okay, that's, that's fine, it's good. I mean, we have to do those things. But how do we receive him? We admit that I cannot achieve. It's completely counterintuitive for us. How do I receive the Prince of Peace again in this season? I have to confess, I can't fix my own stuff. What do I bring? I bring, I just bring, I just, I bring my need. I bring, I surrender and I admit I am a needy person, I'm broken. Part of knowing Jesus' peace in our lives is acknowledging for the first time or maybe just again that without his light and without his love, without his kindness, without his friendship, that we live and I live and I walk in darkness. And Jesus comes and comes to us because he doesn't want us in darkness anymore. Here's the final thing. Third thing. How do we receive Jesus as the Prince of Peace? Well, how do they do it? How do the shepherds do it? How do the, the three kings who travel for months, how do they do it? What happens? What do they do? Well, very simply, I want to say this. They make space for Jesus. We make space for Jesus in our lives. If we want to receive him as the Prince of Peace, if we want to experience again what that means fundamentally in our lives, we have to admit, confess, and then we have to make space for him. The shepherds leave everything and go and see what has been said to them. They, they leave this and they go. Okay, we're going to go. Let's, go. let's go and see if this is true. The kings travel from a far off country. They're foreigners, outsiders. So right at the start of Jesus' birth is an indication of who he is coming for. He's coming for people who are considered outsiders. Shepherds were the lowest of the low when it came to kind of the employment ranking. Okay, who, who is he being revealed to? He's being revealed to people who are considered outside. And what do they do? They make space for him. They travel, they go, they stop, they go. They find out. They make space. They bow down. They surrender. They bring what they have, which is for you and me simply our need. And they make space for him. And part of receiving Jesus in this season is literally making space for him. That's one of the reasons why it's so good sometimes literally just to stop and make space. Allow him to speak into your hearts. You know, I, I sometimes think about that scripture, be still and know <laughs> that I am God. And I'm like, you can say that in two different ways, right? It can be like, be still and know. That sounds nice. Or it can be, be still. <laughs> I think sometimes that's maybe how he would say it to me because I think we're addicted to activity and addicted to going and addicted to climbing and addicted to achieving and sometimes it's like no you need to be still because in the stillness you are reminded of who you are and who he is but sometimes without the stillness we don't see it anymore because our lives are so consumed with what we're doing and what I have to do what you have to do and it's not wrong to be busy and doing stuff but it is very difficult to receive if that is all we do 
So we make space. We make space in our hearts. We make space in our lives for the one who is the great Prince of Peace. Because Jesus is born into conflict. He's born into darkness and born into violence. He's born into the most unpeaceful scenario you can think of. The Prince of Peace is to born is born into the most unpeaceful situation. There's nothing sentimental about being born in an outbuilding. Okay? For those of you who have ever been in those situations where a baby was being born, you would not pick that as the place, I don't think, to have a baby. There's nothing sentimental or nice or Christmas card-like in that story. Because something of who he is coming for is indicated right at the start. He is coming one day to take upon himself all the violence all the evil, all the injustice. He's taking upon himself all the pain so that people like you and I can come home and experience something of the acceptance and the love of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in our lives. So we need to make space for him. So I want to just pray now and I want to give you an opportunity to, if you like,